0: thank you Gary and the Brawley family good morning everyone my name is Dan one of the elders here at Cornerstone Pastor Doug is on a much-needed vacation with his family getting some R&R and um, I trust that you guys have been praying for him as well Um, today's message on hope is going to be based on Ephesians chapter 2 so if you have your Bibles you can open up there And we'll start with verses 11 through 22. And we'll be in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and someone will put a Bible in your hand. And if you do not own a Bible, you can keep it as a gift. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. I moved to Arizona in October of 2003 from the East Coast. So you can imagine that. Coming from a land where it rained a lot to the desert, I find myself hoping for rain every day for the last 14 years. I'm often disappointed, even more so when it looks like it's going to rain, when we finally get a few clouds and yet no rain comes. How disappointing. But I love rain and I hope for rain, but I don't get rain. Everybody needs hope. Everybody hopes in something. If you're a Cardinals fan and you hope to win a game, you're often disappointed. Look at how Webster defines hope. A desire of some good accompanied with at least a slight expectation of obtaining it. At least a slight expectation of obtaining it we have no certainty or any real assurance of getting that which we hope for a job promotion you may or may not get it hoping for these things in essence is not a bad thing but the world's hope leaves the possibility of disappointment it may not happen but God's hope the definition biblically of hope is so much better because we hope in something that we know will in fact happen because it's based on God's word. A promise of God that has already been fulfilled gives us hope that the future promises of God will also be fulfilled. And I think one of the Brawley's read it. It's a confident expectation that which, in which what we hope for will in fact happen. A confident expectation. If you will glance down at Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 11 through 22. Therefore... And that's in reference to the grace of God in the previous ten verses that we did not deserve, hence the very definition of grace, something we do not that we get that we don't deserve. We were sinful, but God saved us by His grace through our faith. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in flesh by hands that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one And to those who were near, for through him we have both access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We go back to verse 12. Having no hope and without God in the world. This message I'm going to teach from God's Word today, I pray, and I'm going to do that right now, that if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you have no hope, That through the reading of the Word of God today, that your heart and your mind will be opened by the power of God. I have absolutely zero power outside of God. It's His Word that will do the ministering to you believers, and I believe also to the hearts here today that are made out of stone, because God could turn your heart into a heart of flesh. We live in a nasty world today. The world desperately needs hope, and there's only one hope and that is in God. And we're going to get into the Scriptures here, but how Jesus was foretold in the Old Testament that gave the believers in the Old Testament hope because they could believe in the promises of God. And then in the New Testament, the, new be- the believers saw those promises fulfilled, and that gave them hope. And then we today, with all believers, can actually hope in the future because there's still a lot of promises that God made in the Scriptures that have yet to come, tr- come true. But we know, based on God's Word, that they will come true. Numbers 23.19 says this. I used to always think of this particular verse strictly as the fact that God cannot lie. This is what it says. 23.19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Praise God that God is not a man. But check out this. Has he said... And will he not do? Or has he spoken? And will he not make it good? I never really put that verse there into the definition of hope. It's exactly what it means, hope. If God says something, will he not do it? If he speaks, will he not make it good? Of course. If you're a Christian, you believe that, right? God can't lie. If God says he's going to send a redeemer, do we have the faith that he's going to fulfill that promise and send a redeemer? If God says, I'm going to complete the work that I've started in you, do you believe it? Do you have faith in the promise that God just made about you individually? That the work he started in you, he will be faithful and just to to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. We have to believe in the promises of God. God gives us no reason to ever not believe in his promises. If we don't, it's a lack of faith. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. When it says in Ephesians chapter 2, which we just read in verse 12, that you were once strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. Why do people have no hope? Well, let's find out. Genesis chapter 3. This is after Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil, the serpent, and they sinned. They chose to not put their faith in God, and they chose to believe the, servant, the serpent. rather. I'm going to start with verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Note that. It's a feeble attempt by man to cover their own sin, their own shame. But God had something so much better. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden and then the Lord called to Adam and said where are you don't look at that as if God didn't really know where they were and I don't believe he was saying where are you he was saying as a father where are you he knew where he was where are you this is after the sin where are you I love you where are you so he said I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he, God, said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then the man said, The woman you gave me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So God responds. So the Lord said, God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, which means extreme hatred, I will put extreme hatred between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. For those who took the New Testament, Old Testament survey, this is known as the what? The first gospel. Thank you, Sean. The first gospel. The promise of good news. Right after the sin, God deals with Satan, the serpent here's your punishment and he ultimately declares war on Satan it's an open declaration of war on Satan how would you like to be Satan that God says I declare war on you that scares me between you and the woman between your seed and her seed there's two families the family of God and the family of Satan your seed the offspring God's offspring, the children of God, the offspring of the devil, the children of Satan. And when he says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, it's important we don't miss what this means. He, the Messiah, the Redeemer, will bruise your head. And that's a reference to a death blow. It is a death blow. We will conquer Satan through the Redeemer. We'll get victory. And you, Satan, you shall bruise his heel. We know Jesus went to the cross and it was a time of suffering. But it wasn't a death blow. It was bruising of the heel. And then he goes on to talk about the woman and her punishment. The pain in childbearing and Adam. That cursed is the ground for your sake and toil. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. But in the sin you can see the promise, the good news, that immediately God offered a Redeemer. He promises here a way of escape, a way of forgiveness that is going to be through the Messiah. This is the first time, the first promise in the Old Testament that I see that gives us hope. And you know what? It gave Adam and Eve hope. You know why? Because after the punishment is is dealt out by God, Verse 20, which tells us that Adam believed God, that they weren't going to die, but check this out. And Adam called his wife's name Eve. What does Eve mean? It means life, living. That's a statement of Adam's faith, of what God said, because she was the mother of all the living. Also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So the attempt of clothing by man was not sufficient. Earlier in the chapter, I think it was verse 7, they made their own flimsy garments to try to cover their shame. But it wasn't good enough. But here, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. If you were Jewish at this time, you would have known immediately that that meant a sacrifice of an unblemished lamb. An animal was sacrificed to provide the clothing. It's a direct future reference, a shadow of the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is our covering. We're cleansed by his blood. And it's right here in in Genesis chapter 3, the first gospel. And it's the first time hope is offered to the world after the fall and Adam and Eve... Believed God in faith it's amazing and then throughout the generations more and more promises come about this future redeemer, it's a beautiful thing, go over to Isaiah chapter 9 with me would you as you do that I will read Isaiah 61 verse 10 it says I greatly rejoice in the Lord, I exalt in my God For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. I don't know what this is, if anybody falls asleep. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. A fulfillment of Genesis that we just read. It's good news. Chapter 3 was truly a beacon of hope. We're going to spend just a few moments with with a couple other uh, passages of hope in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. In Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Understand that the Syrians were getting ready to conquer the northern kingdom of Israel. And after they did that, this land was devastated. It was a wasteland. And this was 700 years before Jesus Christ. 700 years later, Jesus walks this very land that they're talking about, which is fulfilled in the New Testament, bringing light. 700 years of darkness. But the promise of Isaiah would not have been missed by those waiting for the fulfillment of the Messiah of chapter 3. This is another prophetic messianic scripture that Jesus fulfilled. Don't miss it. Those who walk in darkness will see a great light. I submit every single person in this room, at one point in your life, you walked in what? Darkness. The Bible says that you're born a sinner. You're born, born in darkness. It's not until you come to a personal faith in Jesus Christ do you enter the light. Don't miss this. Jesus, 700 years of darkness foretold, Isaiah was a prophet. He told the Jews, if you continue in your sin, you will be disciplined by God. He does it because he loves you and wants to restore you back to proper fellowship. Part of the discipline was a conquering nation was going to come and conquer you. Imagine living in that. You want to sign up for that program? Imagine the the Jews for 400 years living in slavery to the Egyptians you want to sign up for that program sin disobedience leads to discipline from God it's not fun while we go through it right but ultimately it restores our fellowship with God once we're sinning and God disciplines us but here is the hope that they have seen a great light let's see the fulfillment of this turn to Matthew chapter 4 verse 12 now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison that would be John the Baptist He departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. It was Jesus Christ who is the light. John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in what? Darkness. But have the light of life. Light of life. Jesus truly is the light. In this Christmas season... Is all about the light of Jesus Christ. So, my question to you is when you look at the baby in the manger, when you, when you celebrate Christmas this season, is it about the tree? Is it about your presence? Is it about your family and friends? Or is it about those and the focal point of Jesus Christ? Certainly not wrong to want to spend time with your family and your friends and your neighbors. But don't miss the real celebration of Christmas. It's about the light who came into the darkness which is the darkness of your heart and my heart and saved us. The birth of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies. I get very excited when I think of my own life. Age 19, good family, happy-go-lucky guy, parents still together typical brother and sister that annoyed the heck out of me but overall no major problems thinking I had everything I needed in life until I took a Bible class in high school and through reading the scripture yes I said high school 1984 the Bible was still allowed in high school imagine that imagine a time when the Bible was allowed to be read and taught in high school we've come a long way haven't we And through reading the scriptures, God opened my eyes and my heart to the fact that I wasn't the good guy that I thought I was. I was a sinner in desperate need of God's grace. And now Christmas took a whole new meaning on because I realized that when Jesus was born, he was born so that he might die for my sins. I now had an appreciation by the grace of Almighty God of the true meaning of the birth of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So if that's you, if Christmas is nothing more than a holiday, if you're thankful for Christmas because you get a day off, because you get presents, you're missing the whole point. And I know some of you, in fact, that are here today, missed that point. And my prayer is for you that as we read these scriptures the Spirit of God will come in and change your heart change your heart Isaiah 714 you don't have to turn there it says therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel Emmanuel means God with us let's say it out loud God with us the key point there is a sign, a virgin. No human father was allowed to be involved in this birth. Jesus was already around from the beginning of time. He has no beginning. And his mom was Mary, as the scripture tells us. But Jesus was born sinless, lived a sinless life, so that he can become the appropriate, perfect substitute on the cross in which we belong. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. And that is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Let me pray. Father, I, we, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. And we are grateful, God, for the hope that we have through Jesus Christ. Lord, there is only one hope for any one of us and that is you, hope in God, in God alone. So Father, as we continue this study of hope, biblical hope as opposed to worldly hope, my prayer, God, is that anybody who's here today who's had hope ripped from them, that their hope and their joy and their peace would be given back to them. And Father, I pray for those who come here today that Are truly hopeless and and living in darkness that by your grace you might reveal your joy to them your savior to them the redeemer in a clear clear way but i just thank you god for my brothers and sisters who encourage us each and every day what a joy it is to be part of this body so thank you in the name of jesus amen i'm embarrassed that i didn't pray earlier God just revealed to me that I didn't pray. And I'm embarrassed at that. But these promises in the Old Testament, guys, there are over 300 promises in the Old Testament that point to Jesus Christ. He fulfilled every single one of them. Micah 5.2 tells us that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. There's, there's every imaginable aspect of the Messiah. His life, his birth, his ministry... His death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, all foretold thousand years before he was born. And this is God telling us, this is what you need to look for in my Redeemer, the Messiah, the promised Messiah. I've touched on two of, three of them, three of them. I want to draw your attention to your bulletin. You should have something in there that says, hope holding on to the promises of God, as well as, the proclaimed promises of God all fulfilled in Christ. On your own, I would urge you in the week or so, pick out some of these events where the promise is proclaimed and the promise fulfilled. It's a great thing to do with your family as you sit around the table and you can talk about, hey, Micah says Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Let's see how it was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2. So, the, the, the real desire of my message is to talk about what does hope result in? What is the result of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? Should it be that we hide our hope in the house? When we go to work, we hide it? When we see our neighbors, we hide the hope? No! The result of hope is faith. And I want to show you In Colossians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, this is really cool because I want to distinguish the difference between hope and the difference between faith. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, it says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus... And your love for all the saints because of, what? The hope which is laid up for you in heaven. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, and these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. So it distinguishes a difference between faith and hope. So the best way I can describe it, and this is the the verse I'm using to describe what hope is, hope is the hope we have in a future event, right? It's a future event that we hope in. And because of that hope, we live a certain way, and that is faith. We live by faith. Habakkuk tells us, the just, the righteous shall live by faith. So we live by faith because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. In other words, the faith... And the love are kindled, so to speak, by the hope that we have in the promises of God. I have a lot of hope, guys. And it's not a blind hope. It's a confident hope because it's based on the Word of God. And because of that, we live a certain way. Now, turn to... This is really cool. Turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to just see some really exciting shepherds here really excited shepherds if you ever wanted to be someone else in your life at this point in time it would have been really cool to be one of these shepherds chapter 2 Luke so we're going to read this with the belief or with, with the purpose of seeing the result of the faith of the shepherds and what it looked like in their life and then we're going to share with a family of certain things that we can do because of the hope we have in us. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. That's a nice word for taxed. The census took place while Corinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the house and lineage of David. Even though Caesar required the census, it was God directing the baby who's yet to be born into Bethlehem, because Micah said in chapter 5, verse 2, that the Redeemer would be born where? In Bethlehem. He couldn't stay in Nazareth. She couldn't have the baby in Nazareth. It would have violated the prophecy of Micah. So they had to get to Bethlehem. And in God's sovereignty, every, I think, 14 years, there was a tax, a census by the Romans. It's beautiful how God works. These leaders of the world are under the control of Almighty God. So, so uh, Joseph... And Mary get to the city of Bethlehem because that's where he was from. He was from the house and lineage of David to be registered with, his, uh, pledged, with Mary, his pledged wife, who was with child. So it was there that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in, a, in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which were to be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. God likes to give signs. And you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Imagine the shepherds keeping watch of their flock at night and they get visited by an angel. Doesn't say Gabriel, maybe it was. And then a multitude of heavenly host a multitude imagine that scene if you're a shepherd boy right I mean that's gotta be pretty cool and it's at night that is awesome now as we read continually keep in mind if there's anybody out there that worships angels don't do it only God is who we should worship if there was ever a passage that would permit us to worship an angel this would be it but we don't worship angels Let's see what the shepherds did. And so it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, this is verse 15, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they were made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. The shepherds were so excited. They believed in the message from God and they acted on it. Their hope was in the words of the angel, which they knew was from God, and the result of that hope was the faith to go see. They had no doubt, and there was no delay. When it says, let us go now, literally, they went now. And, it, and the word found, when they found them, in the Greek, that word found means after a search. So when they got in there, they searched intently for the child, and they found the child in complete excitement. So my question to all of us is what have you been doing with the hope that you have in God? Like the shepherds, are you going out in haste telling others about what God's done for you in your life? About the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You all have friends, you all have family, you all have neighbors that you know continually walk in darkness. And don't think it's an accident that you are their coworker, that you are their neighbor that you are their son or their parent or their daughter or their cousin yes it's you you're the vessel that God wants to use to share the light of Christ in these lives when you share what God does in your life you encourage others and when they shared in verse 17 that which was told them concerning the child, in verse 18, it says, all those who heard it marveled at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Marveled. But Mary kept these things and pondered them in her heart. This is exactly what the angel told Mary previously. That your son, Jesus, will save his people from their sins. She's getting confirmation. Probably had a pretty good time. Could you imagine giving birth in a manger? It's probably hard enough in a hospital, isn't it? Or at home in a manger they were excited we should be excited so I just wanna share uh, two minutes here of an opportunity that the Lynch family is doing to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ we stole the idea from the Troyers and the Morrises and the prices so this is not our idea Um, like Gary said Tiffany's smarter than him well my wife's a lot smarter than me too guys and to my shame I think she loves all you guys a lot more than I do. (laughs) So, 13 years I've been living in my house. And to my shame, I can only tell you a few of who my neighbors are. I'm embarrassed. And more so of my disobedience because it was several years ago when I felt God telling me, you need to reach out to your neighbors. So, partial obedience is no obedience. I reached out to them only when I saw them hey Joe, hi Mary, it was this. You come home from a hard day's work, right? The last thing you want to do is talk to your neighbors? I mean, that's, that's me. But this year, by God's grace, he's given Kathy and I and our family a heart for our neighbors. So we stole this idea where we are showing a Christmas, what's it called again? Charlie Brown Christmas, thank you. Charlie Brown Christmas. The Peanuts. They share the gospel in that 30, 40 minute video. So we went around, and I believe that Sean is the one who printed this up. It's very similar to the ones the Morrises are doing. And it is Christmas Under the Stars. And we're doing it in our neighborhood. Nobody here is invited. Except for the Young Bailey's, because they live a couple houses from me. So I'm purposely not inviting anybody here because it's for the neighbors and the neighbors alone. So we went out and we handed out about 20 of these or so to our neighbors to say, hey, we want to have you over for some cookies, hot chocolate, and a Charlie Brown Christmas on the big screen. The church has come together to support this. There's a projector and a screen. The church is going to lend us. Sean printed this out and shared it with us. I'm excited because as we hand this out, Kathy and Abby went out. They went to a few of our neighbors. Some were very excited to come. And honestly, some not so much excited. Some were polite but pretty much gave the indication, no, we want nothing to do with this. Be prepared. If you do this, this may happen. It's still not too late for anybody here to steal this idea. You're allowed to steal it. It's not theft. You're allowed to steal this idea and invite your neighbors out to your home. Now, some of you have already done this and, and, you, and, and, and I'm preaching to the choir. For me and my family, as the leader of my home, it's to my shame that it's taken me 13 years. One of my neighbors that I went to yesterday, she said, she's probably in her 60s. She's a widow. She said, Dan, I have nobody. She's been living three or four houses down for us. I believe the entire time we've been living there. I have nobody, Dan. I have no family. She says, my fiance told me three weeks ago he wants a break. I haven't heard from him since. She's lonely. She told me this. I'm lonely. I got nobody. She says, you may not get rid of me now. How would we have known that unless we didn't go? Hopeless people are not necessarily going to knock on your door and say, can you offer me hope? Guys, your neighbors are your neighbors. You're where you are because in God's sovereign plan, you are where you are. So take advantage of these relationships. Take advantage of this season that produces hope. Most people are generally in a better open attitude during the season of Christmas. Take advantage of it. I'm very excited, Kathy, and I know the Morrises have, and I assume the Prices and the Troyers. We write the names down of our neighbors. Even if they don't come, we now know their names, 5, 10, 15 houses down the road so that we can pray for them and we can develop friendships with them. I do not plan on hitting these people over the head with the Bible when they will come through my door. But it gives us an opportunity to pray for the night with them in the house. It gives us an opportunity to start engaging in discussion and building a friendship. I'm very, very excited about it. So thank you guys for, for doing that. The Morrises already did it. If you want any insight into it, speak to the Morrises. Did you have yours yet? So they've already done it and, and and John has some pretty cool stories that if you want to hear, you can hear. But 1 Peter 3.15 says this. It's our aim for this this particular um, exercise, this particular suggestion to share the hope with your neighbors and with others. 1 Peter 3.15 says that others will... um, Let me read it. 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts... And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks, for a, you, a, asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and fear. We have hope. My, my main point today is to show you that our hope is justified. It's based on the promises of God. We know Jesus is going to return. And ultimately we know the only hope that the world needs is in God, and God alone, through the blood of Jesus Christ. And let me finish. Psalm thirty-three, eighteen says, the eyes of God are on those who hope in Him. So if, if, if there's an element of fear to go out and reach out to your neighbors, I understand that. But remember, the eyes of God are on those who hope in Him. God's eyes are on you as you knock on those doors. As these people come into our house, God's eyes are on us and we truly believe that God's going to do some great things great things through this the future of hope my last point and I'll make it very brief this is exciting for all believers because we know one day we will be with Jesus for eternity and know that Jesus desires to be with you says in John 14 verse 1 through 3 he says do not let your hearts be troubled you believe in God believe in me as well In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and welcome you into my presence so that you may be where I am. Does that give you hope? Does it? It's a question. Does that give you hope? Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. This is the future of hope for us. During the period in the Jewish wedding, when a man was going to get married to a woman, they were betrothed. They were pledged to be married. And during that time, before the official celebration, he would go back home and prepare a place for his bride, for his family. Typically, he would be building on his father's house. And that's the idea here. Jesus is going to prepare a place for his bride. That's us. That's exciting stuff, guys. Don't, let, don't, don't miss this. And I'll wrap it up by saying in Titus, for the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. While we wait, verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. For the communion, the families can come up who are going to serve communion. I want to go back and read Ephesians 2 because it ties right into communion. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ. You all know communion represents the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus was known as the the Passover Lamb when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming. He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's a time of reflection, but it is a time of, of celebration. It's a feast, it's a feast of thankfulness of what God did for us on the cross. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's where the hope is found, people. That is where the hope is found, through the blood of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you for the hope that we get through your word. You cannot lie. When you say it, you will do it. And, Father, I thank you for the confidence that we have in your word. And, Father, we know that the world desperately needs hope. And, Father, I pray that your word, and that your children here at Cornerstone, my brothers and sisters, that this season and every day thereafter, that we would share the hope that we have in you and through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I just say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.